Hello and welcome back to the Comic Lyric Podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, mangas, and penny dreadfuls. I'm your host, the soon to be known as Comic Stan, and with me as always is my fastidious co-host, it's Jamie. You're right. That doesn't sound very fastidious. I can be fastidious. <laughs> I mean I am I'm generally fastidious. Well that's why I picked it. And then I thought fastidious would be more like a hello, how do you do? I don't know what fastidious means. <laughs> It's like attention to detail. Isn't this it? is a yeah. I mean, the irony being exactly the uh, the irony of not knowing what fastidious means and secretly knowing and it actually just being a bit. I mean, I'm always about the bits. You know, you know this about me by now. Commitment to the bit. When we initially like conceived of this podcast idea, I think we we realized kind of later on the goals of the podcast. Whereas yours was. Let's be an informative podcast where we do critical analysis of these texts. And yeah, I'm like, I'm still a bit salty about it. <laughs> and I'm like, I just want to make, I just want to do jokes about Spider Man. <laughs> like, <laughs> but the problem is, whenever I put a dick joke in, you edit it out. I not all of them, and most, most of them. Me, well, the thing is now, the list is never going to know how many. Like, I could leave in all of them, but for all they know, for every one, there could be ninety nine others that there I took are. out, and they're all the best ones he takes out. All right, ninety nine dick jokes. Go. Oh, exactly. I'm not a performing chimp. I don't just make up dick jokes for your amusement. Is it because now that the call has been made that you are not unable to rise to the occasion? I don't think I could rise to any occasion today, mate, unfortunately. Oh, you're fine. Yeah. It's it's been hot over here and that's why we British people we tend to melt slightly both physically and spiritually in the yeah, heat. Absolutely. And we're both feeling a bit. I didn't realize how tired I got in the heat until I took a nap yesterday. Oh, dude, I have been taking a nap. I've been siestering daily. It's been magnificent. And proven recently, medically, good for you to take small power naps. Mm. Uh, 30 minutes is what they recommend. Didn't do Margaret Thatcher any fucking good, though, did it? Well, I mean, I don't think it makes you immortal. (laughs) Well, it doesn't make you nice either. No, it never said make you nice. (laughs) Healthy was the thing. Healthy doesn't always mean nice. I started taking regular naps and I actually put Quelder Miners uprising. I don't think it's, it's not like the link between like Adolf Hitler and uh, veganism, uh, vegetarianism, <laughs> not vegan. No, it's because he liked dogs. Yeah, exactly. But again, it's, it's not that link of like, hmm, genocide and vegetarianism. <laughs> there seems to be a correlation here. And that's where the old correlation without causation, I think, uh, comes, comes into play. Comes into play, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that is a science thing for our 1% of listeners who care about science at all. Well, clearly, if they liked that Flash comic, they do not care about science. Science fiction. You'd be like, hey, but what if something else happened? What would you do if you had a cosmic treadmill? Um, I think for people who don't have super speed, it would kill you. Oh. I, I suspect. I don't know that for sure, but I don't think anyone's been like, Batman's been like, hey, can I have a go? Although I bet, yeah. I bet, Bruce, I bet Bruce would have a go. There is a panel somewhere, because I read it, where Flash goes back in time on the cosmic treadmill and Batman wants, needs to go with him, mm. but he can't go on the treadmill for whatever reason because it goes you know, through time and space. Back? No, he... I mean, that's when he needs to, like, get a ride from Superman. <laughs> no, he, um... He, like, gets his batarang on a on a rope thing, <laughs> attaches it to the Flash, so he just kind of, like, rides behind. Like, he's, like, hitched a ride on a plane. <laughs> Superhero shenanigans. I mean, there is a there's a comic panel. I think it was, like, a joke panel someone made, and it was, like, the Justice League need to... F- no, it was Robot Chicken. Um, Robot Chicken, great superhero content. Like, mm. there's, there's um, mixes on YouTube of, like, all their superhero jokes. Um, and it was, like, 
how are we going to get Batman over there? It's like, Superman's like, quick, get him my back. And Batman's like, I'm not doing that. It makes me feel like a child. And then the Green Lantern's like, well, I can make you like something to ride in. And he makes like a yacht, like a small like, rowing boat. <laughs> and Batman's just kind of on the rowing boat. Like, ah, oh. this is like, better. Yeah. And everyone's going, and then it plays music. It's like sailing along on a little boat or something like that. But great content. If you want superhero stuff, Robot Chicken is uh, it's a good place for that. And here, whenever we do superhero stuff. No, it's not a good place for that. I mean, we have our own name for it: superhero shenanigans. Superhero shenanigans. That could be a that could be a motto going forward. I mean, it, it basically be. is now, isn't it? Well, it's become my fucking motto, hasn't it? And to be fair, it's, there's a lot of worse ways you could have. <laughs> to be fair, I think I initially drawn to superhero bollocks. Yeah, that, but then that's quite a British thing. I don't know if shenanigans like the American version of bollocks. Shenanigans just has siblings. Sure. You don't know what siblings. Of course, I don't. I've never read a book. Fuck's sake, you must know what sibilance is. Right, write in if you know what, don't look it up, but write in if you know, before looking up, what that word meant. Yeah, if you know what sibilance is, leave a comment with a definition. The best definition, the least accurate definition, will get a shout out on the next episode. Um, And so I can't now tell you what sibilance is because the listeners will know, so we just have to leave it there. We'll save it for next week, by which I mean we'll completely forget and never bring it up again. Oh, I'll, I'll bring it up. I don't, I don't, I take sibilance very seriously. Uh, oh, oh, there's been a number of things that we've been like, we'll do it next week, and then we never have. So this will be the true test of whether sibilance is actually important or not. I'm going to make a note. You're going to tattoo it on your arm like a memento. Like, <laughs> and then wake up in a, in a hungover state like, sibilance, what does that mean? I have a pretty lax attitude towards getting tattoos, but I don't, even I'm not that bad. Even you won't get a tattoo as a memo. Yeah, fucking A. For like, in case you forget, like, a shopping list on your forearm. I'll be honest with you, I don't have enough room. <laughs> I mean, it's one word. You get that on your little finger if you really want it. Depends on how big your little finger is, doesn't it? And I guess how small the font is, I guess. Yes. We've kind of got into a like, narrative cul-de-sac of, of banter. Yeah, we need like. to do a three-pointer. Well, the best way to do that is to probably get into the comic that we're looking at this week. Yeah, it's a good one as well. It's a fantastic one, I thought. Uh, it is, as you've seen by the title, a nice house on a lake or the lake. Let me the just lake. double check that. On the lake. The only one lake. Um, and Well, it, it is at that point. I mean, well, we'll get into it. <laughs> and it is written by a uh, James Tynan IV. And I double checked that pronunciation because I want to check exactly how that name was. And in the blurb I have here, just alongside his detective comics partner, Alvaro Martinez Bueno. So, bueno. Bueno, yes. That's a fucking great name. It, good is good. Good one is of, good. One of the best jokes. And I, this might come up later. Are you going to steal someone's joke? It's, I'm going to credit, kind of, because I remember it from my failed comedian days in, in London. But someone had a really good joke, and it was it was a guy who pulled out a bag of couscous. Said, couscous, so nice they named it twice. And then he pulls out a bonbon, and he says, bonbon, so good they named it good twice. And then... <laughs> it's, a, it's a simple joke, isn't it? It's, it's a nice one, but it does the job. Did it, did it get a laugh? I mean, it wasn't mine, so it definitely got a laugh. Oh, this is the first time we've told the listeners about your failed comedian days. I mean, I mentioned, I mentioned being a failed comedian. And it's going to come up later because one of the characters is a comedian as well. So, so we will get into it. Um, but off the cuff, what did you think of this Eisner Award winner of 2022 uh, Best New Series comic? I think it was deserving. It's, I, one of my first thoughts when reading it is I can immediately see why it's won an award. 
or, yeah, or awards plural. This is the kind of shit that wins awards, isn't it? Exactly. And the uh, best place to start, I think, this is a very, very story-centric uh, comic book, I would say. Mm. But that being said, the art, well, I think we've got a lot to say about the art oh, as well. Oh, the art is fucking stunning. Exactly. And we are only covering the first seven of 12 issues. Yeah. And I think the the best advantage of that is that it's literally impossible for us to spoil the very end of the story. So I think we've got that to our advantage yeah. right now. Uh, but because it's so story focused, and I want to throw it to you and say, can you tell us me and the listeners, so I'm I'm a human on Earth, and you're talking to me, right? Can you can you tell me what the first issue is about? What's the story of the first issue? So, an enigmatic man from New York is reaching out to all of his closest friends through high school and college, and asking them to come and spend a week in a beautiful lake house with him that he has been gifted. Um, and so we're introduced to a cast of characters and we start to unpick his relationship with some of the more prominent among them, I think is the, is the sort of rough outline of that first issue. I would say that really gets into the, the character aspect of the story. Mm. Um, I think there is a bit, it does get into a bit of what the bigger story is. Do we want to get into that now or do we want to... Oh, do, does it? Because I read the first issue. I, re- I read this in like two sittings. So I read the first issue a few weeks ago. Right. So does it get post-apocalyptic in the first issue? I f- I'm almost certain that it does a little bit. So it basically is is revealed that all these people have, have gone to this lake house. They've kind of met each other, slowly, you know, got to know who's who. And then the guy who knows them all is basically like, hey, by the way, the world has ended. Outside. Actually, no, he doesn't even, someone connects to like Twitter. And it has a really cool page of like all the posts. Yes, and, I remember that. That's such a great panel. And everything's on fire. Ex- everywhere in the world is on fire, except for the lake house and the surrounding kind of forest. And then the guy who knows them all is basically like, hey, yeah, the world's ended and uh, I brought you here to kind of save you. And there's everything we need here to basically live. Um, and then one of them's like, you're fucking crazy person like what's going on and then someone tries to punch him and then his head goes all weird and he's basically strongly implied to be not human but we don't know what he is so that is basically the premise as 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 well as we can give it because i feel like every issue afterwards gives a bit of extra information oh it's yeah that's the 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 story unravels at a really good pace yes i never i never felt myself overwhelmed by it um, but there was constant character revelations, and we were always seeing the, in- the we were always seeing more depth about the interpersonal relationships between the characters. Because something you said a minute ago, you said they all got to know each other, but they all knew each other. These people well, had known most of these people, or at least subsets of them, yes, had known each other for years, like twenty odd years or something. And that was actually why I found one of the most interesting parts is the the spider web of planning that would have had to gone into the writing the story yeah so i mentioned this before when we did eight billion genies because that had such like a world building um complex spider web of narrative Mm. this one is more about again the interpersonal relationship between characters and one of the bits you mentioned the subsets i thought was so interesting was you had this group who knew each other from high school yeah and then the group from college and then the one character who the first issue is about essentially yeah who is like the only person who met this guy post-college 
So you've got two subsets and then one person who's just out of it completely as well. And it really, really plays into the, the, the way people know each other from old and new and also the positives and negatives that come with that. So you have some people who are friends from high school, but because they knew each other in high school, they've actually drifted apart since then. Mm. So you've got some, and then some characters who don't know each other at all become close because they just get on in this initial meeting, essentially. And it's all with the backdrop of something fucking weird is going on. So I feel like, again, reading it, it was just, it was difficult for me at times to remember who was who. And that more speaks to not a negative, but just a, a telling of how complex the interrelationships are. Yeah, it was certainly something that I found I would have to kind of go back and reassess and check. And yeah, absolutely. And to be honest with you, there's still some characters who I don't feel I have a great um, understanding of. But I think that might be because we're only up to issue seven of 12. I think I think there's a lot that's going to happen in these last five issues. Yes. And to be fair, I think the what speaks to that especially is each issue does seem to be from a specific character's viewpoint. Yeah. And then the entire uh, the entire layout of each issue mm. is, I think, really interestingly done where it begins with this person surviving in the apocalypse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then they talk about how they first met and how they knew the Walter an enigmatic character, Walter who are interesting i find is he's he's one of the few characters with glasses i don't know if he's the only one no he's not norm has glasses as well but a great art choice norma yes and that's that's a plot of the the issue which which we'll get into we see her as norm a lot yes and the walter character even though he other characters have glasses his glasses are always reflecting so you never properly see well not never there are i think some times where you do see his eyes he whips them off in issue seven yeah but because his eyes are covered so so much of the time, it's such a great little technique of making him feel different from the rest of the characters. Oh, 100%. It puts a... I mean, if you think about eyes and our relationship with eyes... Windows to the soul. To the soul. Um, but on a, on a social level, that's where your focus will be when you're talking to somebody. If somebody doesn't look at your eyes, that can be really unsettling. And so we've got this character here that is kind of the central focus of the entire narrative. And we never really see his eyes. Even when he takes mm. his glasses off, his eyes are closed. And so, and so it, it, it dehumanizes him in a really powerful way. Mm. It makes him appear less human than the rest of the characters. And who did the art? Uh, the art was the person who bueno. went to uh, the same, uh, Alvaro Martinez Bueno. So Bueno's artwork is very expressive. Mm. He has a really nice sense of drafting human faces. Keep banging on about this recently, don't I? Um, yeah, but this a... is an especially good one for it. Yeah, so it's it's not a literal style. There's definitely this kind of watercolour feel, I would say. I literally put down watercolours as well. So yeah. I, I think it's, it, that must have been just an obvious thing about yeah. some of the panels. It's, a ve- it's not an illustrative style. It's very much a more painterly style. Mm. But within that, he has a very grounded sense of human expression. And so a lot of the characters have these really expressive faces. And we see them through their lives a lot. So we see them when they're younger and when they're older. And he's aged them, but the way they hold their faces is still very similar. He's got great consistency in that regard. And then we get Walter, who is just completely nonplussed. Mm. He's, he, he's such a straight-faced character, isn't he? And 
even before in issue one, before I had the character revelation that he wasn't human, I kept looking at him and being like, there's something uncanny valley about that character. There's well, something uncanny valley about that face. You know, when we, you know, when we are presented the bar scene where the sort of first, well, first character, whose name I only remember because it's Ryan. Ryan, yeah. So yeah. A when, girl with the name Ryan, which I was like, whoa, you don't see that often. No, no, you really don't. Um, so when he's, when he's in the bar chatting with Ryan and he keeps pulling Ryan out to bars to talk about the, what the, the conversation she refers to as, doesn't she? Yes. Um, there's a couple of panels where we're looking over her shoulder at him or they're sat side by side at a bar and there is something not human about that face. They did an incredible job of presenting this uncanny Valley character and to do that in a still I think is re- a real achievement. Mm. It aids the story. It gives you, it kind of hints at this character revelation before we actually get it expositionally, which is really special. Like yeah. that's a, I mean, you can, you, you know, when, when we, I, we talk about exposition a lot and we talk about artwork serving the story. And I think this is a really great example of when it's being done really fucking well. And we're seeing this, um, all of these very characterful, expressive illustrations set against walter who is just completely straight-faced completely not looking very human um I, I, yeah I, th- I thought it was i thought it was really interesting i found the panels and the color so the the watercolor texture kind of it makes it feel like the colors bleeding out from parts to other parts like foreground to background and things like that and i think what you find is the color sets the tone very well by having this style so you'll have like a kind of like the night the nightclub bar kind of thing it's kind of like a i remember it being like a it's a purplish bright but not too bright so it's that kind of feel and it gives you the feel of like like you know nightlife and then obviously it cuts back and forth to ryan in the monopocalypse and it's all bright red fiery kind of feeling so the color really sets the tone for a lot of scenes but only, I think, in scenes that are either flashback or flash forward or, yeah. or present scenes where things start to go a bit fucked. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas when there's kind of just expositional scenes, I mean, normally we use that in the negative term, like way too <laughs> expositional. But this, the scenes that require just, you know, people are meeting people and it's all just kind of normal stuff happening. When it's those, it's very realistic. Yeah. It's very like could be like a picture almost mm. and then as soon as it gets into anything kind of bit different or a bit weird the color sets the tone in really interesting ways we have a word when we're analyzing literature or not a word an expression called semantic field have you ever heard of it no i haven't so semantic field is a tool you can use when you're writing and it's something you can read for where you can use certain types of language to set a certain scene and it's it's a really subtle technique the writers will use so say you are trying to write quite a forthright character you will use a semantic field with quite a lot of bold punchy words you're trying to make somebody seem a little bit more quiet and intellectual you'll maybe use some more heterodox language and when i was reading this that really came to mind because the the use of color and as you really like articulately astutely noted astutely noted the changing use of color and the way that those differing color palettes indicate to to the reader that they're in a different part of the story. I thought that was a really incredible narrative tool. 
again, it's it's a, it's artwork actually being used to serve the story. Mm. There's this thing that musicians talk about a lot, where you're playing on a song, you have to serve the song, right? Like if you're making this really beautiful, delicate acoustic piece, you may be able to absolutely fret wank and shred on guitar, but that does not serve the song. Mm. And so you don't do it because you want to serve the song. And again, the artwork here isn't there for the sake of having pictures so that it can be sold as a comic book. This is a piece of art Mm. that is serving a story. And it's just such a breath of fresh air considering what we've been talking about recently. To be fair, we've we've had some recently that give or take a kind of art, like spin up and down. And even like even something like uh, Eight Billion Genies, which I am referring to because it was kind of I think the, the last art was great very one we did, good, but very different uh, different goals I think in those kind of arts. I mean, as much as I loved the art of Eight Billion Genies, it was a little bit more traditionally comic booky. It was definitely more context based. Yeah, it was like look at all these cool things rather than making something that might be more benign like in this it makes benign scenes more interesting with the color and everything else to use the parlance of youth the art in this comic is a whole ass vibe i was gonna say the art was goated (laughs) 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 that was gonna be my parlance oh mate look at us trying to get down with the kids i wonder what our i wonder what our age demographic is I think I've got some figures on YouTube that I could delve into, but let's just say for now, our our audience are probably at an age that you would call goated with the source. Um, <laughs> as long as they don't get lost in the source, it's okay. Exactly. Uh, I I thought this would be an interesting thing, uh, interesting point to make. The whole aspect of Walter being mentioned so heavily in the beginning of the scenes. Mm. So not only they the character who each issue is about a certain character and it opens with them in the apocalypse they talk about how they met walter yeah and their relationship with him as well as some actual flashback of like pivotal scenes yeah. with this character and then it jumps to the present where it's in the the main story as it's as it's unfolding still and the way that everyone talks about walter with ha- without him being there most of the time mm. i thought that akin to a certain novel by the name of rebecca Certain novel by the name of Rebecca. Do you know the novel? I this is this is going to be my gold star moment because I know about a novel and that I can reference in talking about this comic book title. Hey, so. Well done. Well, we'll see if you get a gold star. But if you get a gold star, you have to edit the fucking thing in. Yeah, I'll put the noise in. Go the Mario it. noise. Yeah, and here it was. Um, so the novel Rebecca. Well, is, I haven't decided whether you get it or not. Okay, so the novel Rebecca is the story is about it's like kind of period piece a bit and it's um. A wealthy man has just married his new bride and they go back to their estate mansion to start their new life as newlyweds. Um, Mm. But then at some point, the new bride finds out that he had a previous bride before her called Rebecca. And the story is about everyone constantly talking about this previous bride. Who's the novel by? Uh, I just Googled it. So the... Novel Rebecca uh, is a 1938 gothic novel written by English author Daphne du Maurier. Daphne du Maurier. You get a gold star. Fantastic. Well and done. My first my first this year and probably one of few. <laughs> and you know what? The only reason that I knew about this at all yeah. is because of a Mitchell and Webb sketch. For fuck's sake. <laughs> and the, Google it if you want, but the uh, the point of the sketch is 
a movie producer being like, if we're going to make a film about uh, uh, called Rebecca, you're damn sure the main character is going to be Rebecca. Because otherwise, <laughs> he's going to be confused. So then the story becomes, what if the film Rebecca, based on the novel Rebecca, but the main character is Rebecca, and the guy keeps talking about his next wife, his next That's bride. He's like, brilliant. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to talk about you endlessly to my next bride, whoever she will be. <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell and Webman, their sketches are beautiful. They are they're up there. They're fantastic. Um, so the structure of the issues, as I say, I found that so interesting because I, like you mentioned earlier, it was kind of hard to know which character was which. Mm. And I found once you had an issue, once you had the character's issue, you then knew the character. And you started to see how they slotted in, didn't you? Exactly. And the what's interesting about in that first issue, you get these brief little interactions that then reveal themselves later so it's all foreshadowing but foreshadowing for existing things but that will be revealed later um the prime example i think one of the best ones is uh the character norma is Mm. hanging out by herself and at one point some other characters turn up and there they kind of reveal themselves to be in the house yeah and and one of them's like hey norma and norma's like oh hey i can't remember which character it was the other one but then norma's immediately like Hey, Ryan, I'm going to follow you now. Like, I was going to stay here, but now I'm going to come with you. It was Reg, wasn't it? It was when Reggie turned up. Not Reg. Reg turns up way late. Uh, it was either Ronnie or the other one that Ronnie hangs out with, who I cut, whose name I, escapes me at yeah. this moment. But basically, you find out later it's because they are exes. Yeah. So it's just that little bit tidbit. And then the, I think there's a lot of those kind of interactions, which I think once you finish the 12 issues, if you then reread it, you'll be like, that's why they're like that. And that's why they're not friends. And and this is definitely something that I think will require a second pass. Like, I definitely want this to be a two-parter. I definitely want to talk about all 12 issues. I definitely want to reread the first seven before I do that. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do a, um, a retrospect of the ones we've already read accompanied by the ending as well. Yeah, yeah, because there's, there's a lot of depth here, isn't there? Like, Norm, Norma's character is fascinating. Um, and in issue seven, where we find out that she's been sequestered, mm. that's powerful stuff. Yes. I think that's issue eight, actually. I think that's the one I, last one I read. Oh, well, I must have read eight issues then. So we're doing the first eight issues now. <laughs> <laughs> Not them as much. But um, but yeah, there's the the plot, I think, reading something like this, I've read a few bits and pieces, whether it be comics or television shows or even films, where they set up a really outlandish mysterious plot yeah with the hook of find out what's happened and i think a lot of these type of stories if you have the reference they suffer from um there's probably a name for a biophoto is like lost uh comparison i suppose the tv show lost so that right right there we go i yeah. thought you meant you'd lost the comparison i was like yeah this isn't going very well buddy <laughs> this is like a duck out duck out abort this is like a who's on first kind of situation <laughs> like. but so yeah the tv show lost was obviously big at the time because it set up this crazy like hey these people have crashed land on this island but something else is going on and people were gripped to find out what happened and then by the end it was like maybe they were in purgatory or something or you know Lost maybe they really died fizzled out didn't it exactly and that's i think a very i think it's something to be considered whenever you're starting something like this is is it actually going to pay off and yeah. to be fair eight issues in i feel like it will be as it helps knowing that it's a 12 issue limited run it's certainly paying off for me i'm really enjoying it yeah, it doesn't feel aimless like mm. like a Lost might. Like one of the Lost series ended with like they opened the hatch 
Yeah, all the fucking hatch. And then it was just like, what's in the hatch? Find out in season two. And it was like, oh, fuck you. Because like, the hatch had been like a real focus for the whole season, hadn't it? I, bl- I, I actually hadn't lo- watched Lost. I think I, by the time I considered getting into it, I heard all the negativity and I was like, oh, actually, I won't bother now. I've not watched it for a long time. Mm. But like, a lot of people spoke about, as I said, the anti-climax of not all the questions not being answered, or at least yeah. enough to be satisfying. And I think that's had a resonance in, uh, you know, in modern fiction, I'd say, especially in television shows. But I think you can apply it to comics as well. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I agree. Mm. But the little bits of information we do get along the way, you mentioned earlier, paced fantastically. I would mm, agree with that. I think you get stuff. a little bit each time. And it is a huge credit to the writing that it still manages to get these across while being from a different character's perspective per issue. Yeah. And I think they, they, they did a really good job of leaving Reg till quite late because Reg is so central to the story. Mm. Um, there's a point where we find out that Reg has actually been helping Walter unknowingly for years to put this together. And so we find out about Reg in like issue six. So we're already halfway through. We've met quite a few characters. And he's been mentioned very sparsely in passing. Yeah. Which again, like I said earlier, little bits, little crumbs that pay off later. And it turns out he's actually probably what was closest friend. Well, as far as we know, because at this point, it's when it starts to introduce this element of, uh, of memory wipe. And and yeah, and then you get to issue seven and Walter's just hanging out in the house with everyone. And so you get a sense that he's clocked, that it's not gone well when he's told them all. So he's wiped their memories again and started again. Yeah. And another comparison for this, for anyone who's seen it, I think this is very close comparison is uh, The Good Place. Oh, The Good Place. Yeah. So if you've seen The Good Place, I mean, skip five minutes, uh, skip a minute ahead or whatever if, if you haven't seen it. Don't and skip it's a good any show. of it. Just listen to our hot take on The Good Place. Just spoil yourself. But, and to be fair, we're not getting it properly, but there is an element of resetting and memory wiping and stuff like that, which it can, in that, it was very comedic. Yeah. In this, because it's a more kind of serious tone, the memory wiping, I actually felt more, was like more sinister. Oh, very sinister. Even the way he does it, forget. Yeah. It's sinister. And the fact that these characters are kind of being forced to unknowingly repeat things and mm. start anew and lose all the information that they've they've gained in their investigations of the house and the area, it feel you feel like really sorry for them. I think what was most insidious for me is that it became apparent he'd been doing it to all of them for his entire friendship with them. And so I really get a sense of Walter as being a being who does feel some human emotions. I mean, he made it quite clear that he was given a human body and he was given hormones. Mm. So he has some emotions. And so he would come clean to them and it would go really badly. And so he'd make them forget. Mm. And it kind of feels as though he kind of knew how they would all react once they were in the, the nice house. Yes. And that's purely because of like getting into the the plan ahead of time and then freaking out and then being like, oh no, forget, forget. And then just being like, knowing how they'll happen because he's had that basically same premise of conversation with them previously. And I think as well, there's a bit of an allegory here that may or may not be intentional, but like having that controlling friend in a friend group. Look at you looking at things allegorically. I mean, I've just used the word allegorically for the first time ever because it like... Uh, 
basically there's like a door in my brain that was like dusted and not used and someone just kind of opened it's like hey there's these words in here that we could uh start incorporating i love having that effect on people I'm I mean, just going to assume it's me. It only took, what, like 10 plus years. <laughs> we got there eventually. No, it was more than 10 years, buddy. Oh, well. Uh, We've d- known each other nearly 20. Oh, don't, we're feeling old. Uh, Fucking aren't you? The, the audience don't know that we're 70-year-old men who just sound young. I don't think I sound young. I mean, you did just use, what was it earlier? Um, what was your youth parlance? Uh... <laughs> how how closely we cling on to this youth violence it just comes in flashes every now and then yeah absolutely but as a, it felt to me like he was a kind of metaphor for again like that controlling friend who kind of makes everyone else do what they want to do and doesn't that come across when there's one of the relationships that he held together mm. and kind of coerced the whole friendship group to hold this relationship together because it would be important to his plan later that's some fucked up gaslighting. And and it wasn't even just to do with the sci-fi element. Mm. It wasn't like, oh, I need humans for this plan or whatever we're doing. But it it did feel like even past the sci-fi element and all the plans and the plot and everything, that his character was imposing their own will, yeah. their own wants and needs into the story. There is something that made me chuckle about it, which is that it becomes apparent that he needed human beings with the most, like, best minds and i find it really funny that those two people were his two best friends from high school because that's not how the world works yeah yeah. you don't just go to a random secondary and be like i'm gonna find couple geniuses here well i think that actually will become a reveal later so this is pure speculation i think he has said some bollocks about oh you guys were the best of humanity or whatever i think the real test is going to be revealed that it's not necessarily they were the best of I think it's about finding people who can work together and and support each other or or sabotage each other, whatever. But I think it's more about the relationship between the characters rather than the characters themselves. But I think that was some bollocks of like, <laughs> hey, you got you guys are the smartest. So it's like <laughs> one of them's a comedian, so I don't need to tell you like they're not good people. Like Aww. I I speak from personal experience. <laughs> what of being a bad person or being a comedian? Uh, a little from column A and a little from column B. Um, I mean, I would like to draw your attention. There's a scene where they work out the food's running out and a notebook turns up and whatever they write up right in the notebook is what they get. And by, so like day, the first few days it's all grocery shopping. And then day nine is like, we want some chicken breasts and, you know, some mixed greens. And then day 11 is a lot of weed gummies. That was good. And there was so much little bits of humor that were did not feel out of place. No, or jarring. no. That's, I mean, do you know what? If I was trapped in that situation, at some point, one of my friends would go, we see if they'll get us some drugs. And, <laughs> and then that same uh, narrative device used for then a very harrowing thing later, where it shows uh, one of the characters, I think it's Ronnie, her character, her list is desperately begging for her husband and family and then it just turned into ways to kill herself and i think that was such like a it was building up to it like you could tell what it was going to be and then when you see the list it still hits as hard which i think again credit to great writing ronnie was definitely the malcontent wasn't she bless yeah and that i think is actually my favorite issue so far is the i can't remember his name but the comedian's issue yeah i really like that character after his issue beforehand i felt he was just like the 
again, having met them in my life and knowing them, um, the guy who just needed to make a joke of every situation. So did you feel that he was quite accurately drawn based on your experience of spending a lot of time around London comedians? I mean, he was uh, a white, straight cis guy, so (laughs) yes, essentially. (laughs) Says it all, doesn't it? But his the way he came off, I think, before his issue was very accurate to yeah. that kind of stereotype. And then when you had actually his kind of more introspective parts in his own issue, that explained a lot about the character and made me like him a lot more. Mm, yeah, I hear that. And the there's one point which was a little bit obvious, but I mean, in this great a comic, I'll like I'll let it pass because you know it's not effect- it's not negatively affecting it. But there's a point where Walter kind of plainly says something that should have been maybe a bit more subtextual, where he says, "Oh, you notice things about people, like you you see people and you and situations, and you kind of more paying attention than other people." Uh, well, I read that as like a part of his tacit manip- manipulation. Well, it turned out to be true, though. So with yeah, what regard- maybe. maybe we don't know the intention. Maybe we never will. But there is like a stereotype about comedians. And if you've ever heard any anyone talking about like the Joe Rogan podcast or anything like that, it's like comedian comedians of the modern day, truth tellers, and you know they speak truth to power and whatever. It's like, yeah, but they just talked about their dicks for like 20 minutes. And you're like, yeah, but you know, society and everything. Um, <laughs> society is built on dicks. Exactly. But um, so there's that kind of element, like, comedians think of themselves as like the very astute like i i read the situation and the and the people and i can make the observations and stuff but for him it turns out to be very true because he's the one who then points out things like hey does anyone actually remember how they got here and no one does but this the slow building of that way speaking to everyone he becomes the mailman so all the stuff that gets delivered to the house which they can never actually see it get delivered it just magically turns up he literally requests a mailman outfit and then (laughs) drops the stuff off to everyone but in him talking to everyone he does a little hey by the way how did you get here like did you fly or did you drive and everyone's like oh i assume we we probably flew because reasons and then the end of the issue he's like does anyone remember how he got it and everyone's like no he's like and you see that he has seen he suspected something quietly gathered information and then made his reveal at the end so like like the true fourth estate yep like a like a Sherlock Holmes de- de- detective guy. <laughs> I've made a deduction here. Like a real Nancy Drew. I I assume I haven't read any. Nancy Drew? Yeah, I think this is like the American version of like young adult detective novels, I think. Oh, right. Yeah, no, not my world. No. I mean, I only know the name from pop culture, but and then the end of that issue when he also deduces that uh they are all immortal as well. Well, yeah, absolutely. And the way he shows it is just by cutting his throat open in front of everyone and going, no, no, it's he. And it's actually done really well. The issue ends on him having done it. Yeah. Saying like, no, no, we're all immortal. And then the beginning of the next issue is the chat transcript. It might not be issue transcript, but the next part is the chat transcript. And it's people like freaking out about him having just cut his own throat. But the fact there seems to be healing and everything as well. And also a great foreshadowing there when Norma tries to punch or hit Walter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And her wrist explodes or something. Yeah. And then after a while, she's fine. And I remember reading that or seeing that in the, in the issues going, what's happening there then? Because is her wrist fucked or what, what's <laughs> happening? And I did think for a second, I thought, is that just like, have they missed a bit? Yeah. And then it's revealed. No, no, that was like the sign that something else was happening with regards to, you know, their physical forms and everything. 
There one bit that really jarred me a little bit was the COVID testing and issue one. They're oh my god! Yeah, yeah, fucking hell. And I see that in a lot of like films and TV and stuff. And every time I go, let's not let's not go back. Let's not remind ourselves of that again. I've not really seen COVID pop up in much content that I consume. You know. So there was TV shows that acknowledged it. Uh, Always Sunny did like a first well, of episode of a new did. series. Um, Brooklyn Nine Nine, their last season was like made during or just after COVID, and they kind of acknowledged it there as well. But that was smart because they kind of connected it with like the the absolute strain of the public services including the police um but at the same time they were also having to address all the police brutality shit that happened in the past few years as well yeah. so they had a lot to deal with when brooklyn, they came quite, back brooklyn 99 is quite knowing for a laugh track sitcom isn't it well it's not a laugh track so. oh is it not no no oh, i've i've photoshopped a laugh track over that one luckily laugh tracks have been slowly phased out over time the mm. last laugh track show that I think I actually enjoyed was How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, but that's beautiful and perfect in every way. We've already established this. And honestly, you could take the laugh track out of it and it'd still be as good, I think. Mm, it's funny. if you take the laugh track out of Friends, they just all seem like sociopaths. Oh, it's galling, isn't it? Mm. It just looks really awkward. Or like, Seinfeld. Yeah, I've, well, I haven't seen enough Seinfeld to know the difference, so... I mean, it's Seinfeld. Probably the same. But yeah, there was a little bit where they were testing temperatures and I was a bit like, oh, like, can we not like acknowledge mm. that? And it also seemed a bit needless because it never comes up really again. Yeah. But maybe there's some thematical connections with being locked it all locked inside a house. Well, fuck. Hadn't considered it. And yeah, I'm I mean, coming in with the insights this week. Yeah. I mean, I've had a long ass day. Whatever gives me the edge. Like, yeah, I'll take it. I'm not. I need you. To, I need you to fill the gaps here, buddy. I'm like actually turning on my critical analysis part of my brain for the first time. <laughs> it, it's a switch. How does it feel? Well, it's just, again, it was a switch in my brain that was just covered in cobwebs and dust. And someone was like, we've got this thing over here. And they're like, well, fuck, how long has that been there for? <laughs> Guess we'll try it. For reference for the listener, I was up at five and then went on a road trip for work and then drove back and I'm dead. So you're getting very, you're getting low energy, Jamie. Today I'm struggling to articulate myself. It's not going well. Well, look, I said I'm here to pick up the slack. This and is they, what you're here for. But then all good relationships, I, I think I there's some Chris Rock. He said all good relationships are people think about as fifty fifty, and it's it's really sixty forty. But whoever's got the sixty at the who can have it at the time. Yeah, yeah it's equity as opposed to equality. Exactly. Who who is there? Sometimes he described in one of his last specials this. Sometimes you're lead singer, sometimes you're playing tambourine. And sometimes Will Smith slaps you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> because of their fucked up relationship. Yeah, wait, let's not even go there. I just love, he cuts from laughing to, oh no, I'm actually, I'm actually really offended on her behalf now. Yeah, absolutely. I really like Ricky J- Gervais's joke about it. I don't, not sure if I heard it. Somebody asked him what he would have said, what, what, what he would have done if Will Smith had reacted that way, if he'd made that joke. And he said, well, if I'd have been there, I wouldn't have made the joke. I wouldn't have made a joke about her hair. I would have made a joke about her boyfriend. And Oof. I just thought that would... But no, but yeah, that, yeah. that would have been funny. And I imagine Will Smith probably would have laughed at that joke. And then done the exact same thing afterwards. And then knocked him out. Yeah. <laughs> or at least just slapped him. I do like the, the phrase, get my blanks name out of your mouth. Out of your damn mouth. That's become like a meme now. And just seeing the creation of a meme is so good. Yeah, watching it happen. Also, just the the most tangent of tangents. 
I frequent a subreddit about pro wrestling. And of I was, you do. Well, of course you do. The Why morning after the Oscars, I was a bit confused because the top thing in it was like post-match results. And I was like, well, there wasn't any significant wrestling on last night. Yeah, I looked, Smith. it was literally Will Smith versus Chris Rock. And I was like, what yeah. the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> what's going on? And then I read it. I was like, ah, good joke. Good joke. Who is it? Was It was Zuck. It was the Zuck. And, and Musk. Yeah, we're meant to have an MMA fight. But do you know Mark Zuckerberg's now like getting really into Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Yeah, but he's still, he's not in good health or anything. Like, is he not? Zuck, like, there's a lot of... If I had his money, I would be fucking stacked. Yeah, but thing is, he's actually been doing um, doing some kind of martial arts for years now. But he's also in really good shape. Whereas Musk is like, might be wearing a girdle. And I don't like... <laughs> might be wearing a girdle? <laughs> That's the best thing you've ever said. <laughs> Like, can you imagine Elon Musk getting out of his Tesla with, Tesla with a fucking girdle on? I mean, he might, for all we know. Uh, it might be his thing. He's a fucking weird dude, isn't But he? Zuck is stacked now and is actually doing uh, martial arts. And again, no good billionaires. Like, just off the top, we are of that shared belief. Yeah. But in terms of billionaire versus billionaire, my money's on Zuck. Oh, fucking A, yeah. Especially the meme I saw, which articulated very well, was the look on Musk's face when the cage door closes and Zuck takes off his skin to reveal his <laughs> reptilian form. Because <laughs> of the two of them, one of them, who most likely to be a reptile. Yeah, I've always found Mark Zuckerberg a little uncanny valley, I'll be honest with you. Well, there's a picture of he's doing like a presentation for Meta or Facebook at one point, mm. And there's just a, you know, there's just like bland backgrounds that don't mean anything. It's like a shelf with like some vague yeah, bland yeah, books yeah. or whatever. There's a bottle of barbecue sauce on one of the <laughs> things. And someone captured it. And went like, what the fuck is this? And then the like top caption was like, hmm, what do humans like on their bookshelves? <laughs> oh, yes, barbecue sauce. I mean, it's saying a lot about somebody when Jesse Eisenberg is a little bit too charismatic to play them properly. I mean, nail on the head there in one, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was quite proud of that. Yeah, that was good. Astute observation. Hey, that's all I'm here for today, lads, is the, astute observations. Your observations have gone from, like, from the normal highbrow level to, like, <laughs> Zuckerberg's a bit of a weirdo. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's your... That's your low that's yeah. your lower running. The, yeah, no. This this is this this episode has lost all form. Well, let's inject some form back into it by uh me talking about what I know it. Another nice bit of foreshadowing uh was in the invite to the people. So mm. generally a great thing about these issues and this comic is the occasional still frame of I say still, they're all still frames. The occasional, <laughs> none of them were moving. That'd be, a, that'd be a great comic book. Imagine if the panels were moving. That would be a TV show. That's why I love TV shows so much. Hey, um, all the way back around. Exactly. Um, there's a, occasionally a panel or a page will be some kind of written text. Yeah, so like, like a, a, an IM exchange or an email or whatever. Exactly. And those are used really well to kind of flesh out the story in ways that, didn't even need to, but it just feels like the, it adds to the pace when you're going from like what's happening to reading a page of text to back to conversation. Unfortunately, that stuff always just reminds me of like Dracula. Are there pages of text in Dracula? Well, yeah, obviously. Well, yeah, beyond the the written page. Do you know? Do you know? Do you, do you want to know the word for that? When a novel is just letters, 
You ain't getting a gold star for this because this is your wheelhouse, but go on. An epistolary. Wow. So an epistolary novel is where it's letters back and forth, and there is a lot of epistolary in this. Uh, you know what's interesting? Mm. The My favourite epistolary that I've read recently yeah. is Jonathan Hickman's run on X-Men, because he's been doing that since he took over in 2019, I want to say, maybe. But um, he's been injecting that into all the X-Men titles, so every X-Men title under his kind of head of X-Banner has that as well. Yeah. But there'll be like confidential documents. So mm. there'll be like blackouts and stuff. Yeah, and... that's exactly how an epistolary works. Mm. So what you're saying is the latest X-Men one that, run that I keep banging on about is actually liter- in a literary way, very highbrow. Well, it, it just stems from a certain liter- literary tradition. Sure, I'll take um, that. Because because letter writing was such a popular thing in the Victorian era and the novel is a Victorian invention, mm. um, it was only natural that somebody would try and bring that in as a structure for a novel. And um, Bram Stoker did a really good job of it. Uh, but yeah, no, absolutely. Like I, li- I like epistolary mm. because it's a more charming way of bringing a retrospective in or for exposition it can be really useful Mm. for that um so it's a tool that they're using isn't it and this is definitely the modern version of that tool like crank to 11 because it's it's instant messages and it's like whatsapp and it's twitter and um just like like the the most lo-fi tech ones were probably like the transcripts of conversation yeah but in terms of foreshadowing there was one that really i thought like jumped out at me i thought was so good was one these pages of text you just see the page maybe it's you see that it's on a like on a desk or on a like there's a little bit of background that you can tell it's being read off something and then all of a sudden one of them has a human finger like in the way and immediately you go, that's not happened before mm. in only like the four or five issues preceding. So you immediately go, what the fuck's going on now? Like that's something. And it's literally just the smallest little addition to a established trope within, within the comic that you go, oh my God, something's happening. I think some of my favorites were the instant messenger exchange, instant message exchanges from when they were younger. Because he really conveyed a sense, and this is something that you must, you know, we're, we're of a certain generation. Uh, MSN messenger, yeah. But that kind of late night, awkwardly talking to somebody that you know, you're both, like, you're a teenager, you're a bag of hormones, you're up a little bit late, you're talking to somebody that you're kind of interested in. Mm. And it's that awkward, stilted, well, what do you think I mean? Conversation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it represented that and it dragged me back kicking and screaming to being like 14 years old on MSN. This is one of those comics that unfortunately we are the age of the people. So, yeah, absolutely. So when it flashes back, it's like, oh, I'm an adult age now. Like the you get reminders that when you are an adult, you get occasional reminders that you are the age of an adult. Yes. And you, and I, and and you I, go, oh, my day's ruined. And I think it's so interesting because when, when I was watching TV in like the noughties, and there would be flashbacks to the 80s and it would all be neon colours and big hair, um, I would kind of go, oh, that's a bit hokey. But now when stuff flashes back to the noughties and it's like instant messenger exchanges or you see a text message that looks as though it was written on an old Nokia or something, it does hit you right in the nostalgia. It's so Mm. effective. The idea of taking media that's intended for adults and kind of making them reflect on their younger selves. I can see why it's a trope that keeps coming back in fiction. I've I've noticed instantly, and also whenever anyone mentions the 80s, I my mind immediately still goes, oh, 20 years ago. But well, it always jumps to that. Yeah, the 60s is only 30 years ago to me. Yeah. But um the 
flashbacks in that like the 80s and 90s and like if you go even further 70s and 60s they're so defined by their cultural looks yeah like the the fashion at the time and the music and everything and with the noughties even i do get the nostalgia from like things like this but if you just take a picture of the noughties i don't feel that same sense of like immediate recognition it's the tech isn't it the tech is the defining thing yeah. of the era now. Whereas before, again, it was everything else. It was the fashion, the music. It's the culture. Yes. God, it's the death of tech. Technology is the death of culture. I mean, you heard it here first. Fuck me. Bre- I'm going to cry. Breaking news for anyone who didn't already realize that, including <laughs> us, to be fair. Yeah. But um, the invite uh, was a good one of like showing some information. The the invite that gone out to everyone had that little bit of foreshadowing in it as well. And especially the bit I took note of was, um, I think he was acknowledging that not everyone's going to be able to make it because he's trying to get everyone desperately into this one place for an extended period of time. And when you are adults in your twenties to thirties, that's just not going to happen. I mean, when he's in college, when he's in high school, he says it's going to take about two decades. Mm. So I reckon they're all in their thirties. Yeah, exactly. And then the bit of the invite that acknowledges that some people aren't going to be able to make it, it literally says, disappointing, but I think the others will be more disappointed in the long run. In ter- like, in terms of the people who, some people can't get there, but they're going to be the ones, it's disappointing for us now, but it's going to be more disappointing for them later on. And it feels- Or when they burn. Well, that's the, the subtext, obviously, isn't it? But I think- everyone's been in that situation where someone's been like you have to come out to this event tonight it's going to be amazing you're going to regret it if you don't and then if you don't go and you hear later it's like yeah we all just got drunk and then you're just like well i would have liked to have been there but i think i can survive without it yeah i can survive without one more night of getting drunk but especially when you're younger it's that mentality of like yes it's the last night on earth and then it's like oh it was actually the last night on earth on this in this instance to use the parlance of my millennial brethren fomo real fomo yes yeah we get that fomo don't we and then eventually you realize it's not that much to mess out on, actually. And that's when you start becoming healthier and not staying out till three in the morning every night. Yeah, I'm waiting for that one. <laughs> it'll be good when it hits. Absolutely, when it kicks in. And going back to the art again, the specific use of art for when things get crazy. Like I said mm. about the color setting the tone, but also in the specific penciling. Yeah. If penciling is even like, I, I don't even know if penciling is used in this type this of art. This was drawn digitally. Well, whatever the method was, when it gets into things going weird, and specifically, the example that keeps turning up is Walter's head after he gets hit. Yeah. It's just in a weird kind of like mid-water being hit with a bat kind of aesthetic. Um, But every time that comes in, the color changes to match it, as we said before. But just the specific detail of him just looking really fucked up. It's great, isn't it? It's like a rippling effect as well. Yeah. Um, And... I think they can't quite get across with the art style how it looks in a detailed way. Like, we can't really see what the characters have seen, but it at least kind of gets across the sense of fear from this alien thing happening. There is a distinct lack of detail at points, and I think that was purposeful. Um, before I played Tears of the Kingdom, <laughs> one of my favorite games of all time was Silent Hill 2. Right, right. And the thing that, and again, you know, I'm. Uh, if you want a good review of Silent Hill 2, you should probably watch Ben Yancey Croshaw's. Um, but any game, really. Yeah, realistically. But one of the things that made that game so great as a horror game is that the thing you were scared of was an insidious force and you never really saw it and it was always in the shadows and you were always catching a glimpse of it from the side. 
it made it fucking terrifying. Mm. And so it really serves to make Walter truly mortifying in those moments where you see his true self and you see his actual form. You don't really see it. You get a glimpse at it. And what what you're really going on is the reaction of the human characters in situ. And that's so much more powerful than just is a monster yes exactly i think it's what made stranger things so effective is yeah. that it was quite late on that we actually saw what a demogorgon looked like and speaking of uh stranger things one thing i forgot to mention earlier was do you know what else the james tynan the fourth has written no he wrote something's killing the children what this same guy same guy yeah whoa well doesn't that make a lot of sense (laughs) wow i really like his work in that case and to be fair it shows quite a bit of range i thought because something's killing the children is more of a quite linear storytelling or be it with still some flashbacks but it's a bit more grounded in comic book tropes exactly there's nothing tropic well there there are tropes at play here obviously it's a story that's how tropes work they're ever present but what i'm not seeing here is that specific set of comic book tropes I think yeah. that's probably what made it so compelling to me is that it felt fresh. Yeah, exactly. And but again, something's killing the children. I think it was more tropey, just in a kind of again a linear narrative sense. Yeah. Whereas this is very much a there's there's storytelling devices just in how the issues are laid out, as we said before, and everything else. Um, Talking about how the issues are laid out, there mm. is one thing that I didn't like about this comic. Sure. Panel layout, man. There are times where you've got a a straight vertical thirds thing happening but then the middle third is split up and i was trying to follow the thread across these panels and i couldn't work out what order they were going in and it was like really pivotal conversations that i couldn't follow naturally and i had to sit and pick them apart and i don't know if that was an intentional thing where the writer and the artist together wanted the reader to have to focus in on those moments and so they made that conversation feel a bit delineated so you had to piece it together and so it left you in the dark. Or if it is just that it didn't scan very well. But there were points where I really felt like it wasn't scanning that well. I noticed that as well. And I f- felt like at the time it was getting across a sense of chaos because it was typically in like a big multi-person conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So I felt like because, and I had the exact same thing. I'd be like, hang on, do I read here? or I'll have to go here and read here. But it was always in a sense of like, there was like an argument or like a kind of spirit debate about the situation or something like that. Do you think it was being used to convey things happening at the same time? Because usually you'd just do that in one panel. Yeah, I think it because it had so many different people talking, I think, and this may not be for all of them, like some might just be not as good layout, but there was some certainly where it felt like you were trying to piece where the where the lines of text were coming from because it felt like being in a big conversation, like a large group having conversation, you're trying to listen to everyone at the same time. But there was also a moment where Walter had Norma at that time still going by Norm mm-hmm. and Reggie at a sleepover at Norma's house. And there were three separate panels of his face in quarters that came together to make a whole panel of his face, but just not quite lined up. Right. And looking at that, I went, that was an artistic choice. Yeah. And so part of me, part I really want to write it off as an artistic choice. And I, and I, I agree with you. It conveyed a sense of chaos, didn't it? Yeah. I think you're right there. I think you've hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah. I think with art, when it comes to artistic choices with panel layout, that can be a gamble. Yeah. Because if you don't get across the meaning, then it can just read as it can be just difficult to read. Well, it's and a big swing and a miss, isn't it? Exactly. And I think that's I mean, 
to give, the, I think, the biggest benefit of the doubt, it's they attempted something and it just didn't scan as well. Yeah, but it was... but and it's, it, that, I'm just saying that's a possibility. Mm. Like, the other one is it just could be layer just didn't work at points. Did you find that it made it difficult for you to understand the meaning? Because there were times where it did, but it just made me kind of go back and scan through it. Oh, I, I found myself having to refer back a lot. I... I didn't have to necessarily refer back, but I mid mid page reading would go, oh, I think I've jumped a bit and then yeah. go back and like, you know, but when it's just within one page, I don't mind that as much. And I think that might, that might be a having read comics for longer. Yeah, I think maybe. you get more of an intuitive, like left to right reading and thinking if you've missed a part. Um, but again, it's, it could just be, you know, it could be a mistake or a creative mistake, or it could be a creative gamble. Like, yeah. it could be one of... Either. And I suppose this is something that you and I have been talking about a lot, which is, like, our own personal growth while we've been making this podcast. Mm. And actually, there was, a, there was a distinct point where we started talking about panel layout a lot more. Maybe if we had read and talked about this on week one, and this was episode one, it wouldn't have even been something that we'd considered. Yeah. I think, I think, I think, I mean, I think we are both becoming better critical reviewers of comic books. Like, genuinely, I think we are. The listeners may have a different opinion. If you do have a different opinion, comicliterate.gmail.com, let us know. Good plug. Um, hey, I got it in there. I wove it in, baby. Like a real salesman. Uh, well, don't, don't accuse <laughs> don't, me of that. Don't sully your That's foul. Like a real uh, synod, corporate synergist, if that's a thing. Oh, God, I bet it is. Yes. <laughs> Possibly. Um, one thing that I found kind of interesting, and I don't think this might be like a just me thing, like this might not be anyone else's interpretation at all. It's this and larger media as well. But I found that the choice of the characters' jobs was an interesting choice. And I think this is for me, I, I noticed it in this. And then when I sat and kind of thought about it in larger media, I noticed that with this kind of group of people, there weren't many like blue, what? Was there any blue collar jobs at all? Now, one thing you can, I think contextually it makes sense because if you're in this kind of group of friends and you're this kind of personality, you meet people of similar personalities. So there are a lot of creative type jobs as well as like general go getters. Someone works for like the, was it like DNC and that kind of stuff? They were a bunch of New York socialites in their 20s. Exactly. And so contextually, absolutely fine. Like completely makes sense. But I thought it was interesting the choice. The choice is that a lot of writers, both of comics and TV and film, the jobs are always kind of at, at most like very interesting artistic jobs mm. and at least like just white collar jobs. Like yeah. that's their version of boring. But you never see a good example I realized with this was every Adam Sandler film, he's like an architect. Yeah. And it's always, it has to be that job where it's kind of like, it's a busy job, but it's not a boring job. They're a creative person as well. Ted it, Mosby architect. Exactly. Yeah um and or lawyer or doctor or you know whatever but there's rarely ever and this is across again not just this comic but all kind of film and tv yeah. and fiction especially in the modern era there's rarely ever like plumbers or carpenters or electricians i mean they are they are the romantic foil in a rom-com where somebody goes home to their hometown and meets the kind of naive but grounded plumber yes who they loved in high school and that and that's where those blue collar jobs come in when you want to make someone appear really grounded yep and i one of the examples that actually is the exception proves rule that i remembered was i for some reason remembered uh watching the rom-com with ali wong 
and I can't remember what it's called, but it's the one that had yeah. the cameo from Keanu Reeves, yeah. which was fantastic. Like it's, it's, it's Keanu Reeves, isn't it? Exactly, and it's a good film. But the guy who you lit that character you literally described, I thought of him because he was a delivery driver. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I think that's like the one example I could think of immediately of someone who didn't have that kind of job. And you've just explained why that is yeah it makes them grounded doesn't it yeah i think it really comes down to if you are a writer of things like this you probably mm. run in the circles of people having these kind of jobs so it well, makes yeah sense. i mean i would yeah absolutely i mean they, they, there was this knowing nod to like new york bar culture and they all seem to be in you know um the well like there's a moment where um reggie's in a bar with everyone and he's an artist mm. And so they're all kind of drinking in Manhattan. And he's like, right, I've got to go back to Brooklyn. And it's like, oh, so he's the art, he's the artist. And so he can't afford to live in Manhattan with the rest of them. He's got to go get the fucking J train back to Brooklyn, right? Like, mm. you know, it was very knowing about that world. And so I would imagine that the writer is writing from experience. If you are the writer and you live in like Milwaukee or something, let us know. But I imagine if we did a little bit of a Google, we'd probably find that they were part of that world yeah and i i think it's it's fair enough for writers to write what you know even whether consciously or subconsciously like it's just gonna happen i think i mean it rings truer yes um the only reason i noticed it in this more than anything else i've read or watched is because the one of the storytelling devices is that the characters are described in what we assume are walter's own like yes. own notes or files and they are referred to by their job title so we assume that has something that will have some deeper meaning later, but they're given a job title and a symbol and the symbol is used to like, here are your things around the house and it becomes clues to the larger mystery and yeah. everything. But only in seeing these, the actual occupations that I went, there's a lot of like artistic and white collar jobs yeah. and uh, uh, not surprised, but that's when I kind of noticed the larger pattern of uh, larger media. It's interesting because I hadn't really thought about it. Mainly, this will be one of the tangents I use in the description of this episode. So I'll be like, Ryan and Jamie also discussed uh, the portrayal of working class jobs in modern <laughs> in modern fiction or whatever. But yeah, it was just a little bit I noticed. Um, I did notice that a little note, the library that they go to, mm. which they find everything and seeing the Sandman in there, yeah. as well as probably some other tiles I didn't immediately notice. But there's probably some other they, they specifically mentioned there's comic books in there. Well, this is a DC DC black label. And there was this moment, right, where I thought you'd hoodwinked me. Thought you'd hoodwinked me because I got to the end of an issue and there was an advert. And it was, who's the skeletal bloke, bad guy from DC? Skeletal? Yeah, maybe uh, Doctor Doom? Nope, not DC. Um, you mean like actual, a skeleton or? Yeah, 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 yeah. Bad guy, skeleton head. I mean, there's a couple. Black Mask? Don't look at me, mate. I'm asking you. I, I um, mean, he's one of them, so it could have been him. There was an advert. Yeah. And it was a list and it said multiverse things to look out for. And it was a list of superheroes and their traits. And then this guy monitoring a bunch of screens in the multiverse. And I went, oh, for fuck's sake, is this, a, is this fucking superhero shenanigans disguised as something arty? And then it took me a second to process it. And I was like, no, the art style's changed and we've gotten to the end of the issue. Yeah, This is just an advert. <laughs> What's interesting as well, you mentioned earlier about comparatively pre- uh, james tynan's previous work something's killing the children you said that was a bit more comic tropey yeah what's interesting is that was actually released by a third party boom studios yeah whereas this being dc black label but be so dc but they're kind of the way they do like the more artsy stuff yeah. 
So it's kind of interesting that this is the least comic tropey one, but it's by one of the big two. Yeah, absolutely. It is wild, isn't it? You said it before about the panel layout. One thing I did notice was I made a note about the panel layout, but not not specifically layout, but the panel specifically. Yeah. And there was a couple of times where, you know, there's big spreads made up of smaller panels. Yeah. I noticed the the art was quite distinct in each panel. Yeah. Not quite. It was still the same style, but there were little bits in each panel which were different to others. Like there'd be, say, more or less light in them or more or less de- more detail in one and less in the other and yeah. things like that. And I think, again, layout, you know, we've, we've been over that. But at least when they were doing lots of panels, there was still like care and detail to each individual panel, even mm. when they were like one tenth of the page yeah. as well. So there was a lot of attention to detail. Oh, I mean, I mean, well, this is the thing. It's really interesting because we talked about the distinct lack of detail in the art style, but there was a really great attention to detail, wasn't there? Yeah. And even as uh, ironically, some parts having less detail was yeah. a actual knowing choice yeah as it well. was one of the finer details <laughs> yep. and detail being uh a fastidious trait fastidious fastidious ah, ah fucked up but basically the thing i said earlier relates to this now absolutely yeah no it's come full circle yeah and i think this is uh a good place to call it unless you've got anything else at no, all no i think this is a logical place to call it i would highly recommend this comic book 100 percent. um i would highly recommend that you humble listener come back and listen to us finish talking about it that's going to happen at some point in the next couple of weeks i would say yes i definitely am going to finish it because i i'm going to finish it because the best um recommendation is that i want to finish it yes yeah, that good yeah I um, don't have to just stop reading it because we've done the episode now, like some <laughs> other titles, but I will actually finish it because I want to know what happens and we'll go over that at a later date. So we love hearing from you. If you would like to reach out to us, you can do it at comicliter at gmail.com, as I mentioned earlier. If you'd like to leave a review, just stick a review on wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>